If you're out there listening and there's something you'd love to ask us, just send us an email to office at houseofglamdolls.com and we'll be sure to include it in the programme. My tool of the week this week are the powder puffs by Louise Young. They're small mini puffs about the size of about maybe about three or four centimetres wide. They're brilliantly made. They're very well sewn together, so they weather really well over time and the ribbons don't fray. And if you're looking for a powder setting using a powder puff and to get into those small delicate areas like under the eye and round the nose, the small mini puff by Louise Young is my tip for tool of the week this week. Also the puffs are black velour, so they do actually give you a lot more durability than a traditional white powder puff. Today I'm joined by professional makeup artist and psychotherapist Lee Pycroft. Lee, would you say beauty is based on looks or something greater? So to me, beauty is based on something greater than an aesthetic. I think it can be an aesthetic, you know, if you happen to be gifted with a genetic um, that allows you to sort of look like today's social and cultural construct of beauty, then that is an asset in the same way as intelligence an asset or physical prowess. And you can use that with care. But I think beauty overall can be a way of seeing the world. We might see beauty in a difficult situation. We might be able to see how we grow from a difficult situation, the beauty in that. We might see beauty in nature or beauty in someone's behaviour. So I think it's a lot more diverse than just purely based on an aesthetic. As an experienced professional makeup artist, you already know the value placed on makeup as an expressive tool and to foster greater self-esteem. Tell us how you've moved from makeup artistry in recent times into psychology and why you've made that move. So my shift from makeup artistry into psychology really came about from a fascination with seeing the emotional shift someone would make once they had their makeup on. And this could go with, uh, in regards to an A-list, I might be getting ready for the red carpet and painting onto their face a look that they want to project onto the audience. Or in a charitable initiative I've run, working with people who are either terminally ill or going through really difficult life challenges. And seeing how a makeover could help them experience something different, even if it's just for a while. And through experiencing something different for a while, then they almost get to believe again that they can feel something different um, and that that almost breeds hope if you like. So on seeing that and the power of makeup really and the power of beauty when used in that way, I really wanted to be able to offer people deeper and more sort of substantial solutions to any problems they have with either their mental health or their emotional well-being. So the transition really felt like a natural one. And so I first trained as a coach. And then after a while, I kind of felt, well, it's really, I want something that's got even more substance than that. It's got credentials and letters after my name. Um, and that really is based in uh, neuroscience and mindfulness and wisdom. And so I then trained with an institute called the Human Givens Institute and what I loved about their approach is it is non-voyeuristic, it's warm, it's compassionate, and it really does help people move on quickly and effectively through their life challenges. And to me, you know, beauty and the way we feel and look is also interconnected. Um, if we feel we're going through a rough patch in life or feel very challenged or we're overstressed, it will show on our face. And I think that being able to offer 
a more uh, substantial solution than just makeup was something that felt really natural and positive to me. What is a daily affirmation that we can learn from for heightened self-esteem? So a daily affirmation to help heighten our self-esteem, well, you've got to ask, well, what is self-esteem? Because I think that's something that, you know, I'd like to dig a bit deeper into. Because I think everyone's going to have their definition of self-esteem. And for me, self-esteem is a, a broad sense of our own value and worthiness. And, you know, people with low self-esteem will tend to have sort of an amplified uh, belief system about their shortcomings, really. And I think that uh, you get positive and healthy self-esteem by stretching yourself in real life, by setting yourself sort of uh, little goals that you can build resilience up when you're actually moving towards the goal. So it's not really the end goal, it's the, it's the challenges we have to overcome in order to get somewhere. This is why life experience is so valuable. And I think that when we are going through a period of low self-esteem, where you might use an affirmation, affirmations alone will help, but they won't solve the problem entirely, which is why we have to take ourselves out into the real world. But if we're struggling against the reality of what's in front of us, which can often be the case if we're struggling with sort of feelings of lack of worthiness or or recognising our own value. Something that really helped me when I've gone through these sort of periods is the serenity prayer. And whatever your philosophical belief, whether you have a religious belief, a belief in um, the universe or something greater than yourself, um, the serenity prayer being, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, helps accept where we might be on that particular moment in that particular day. And if you don't like the word God, you could say good orderly direction, or is, you know, a belief in something outside of ourselves that helps us uh, to believe, you know, we have some, some meaning and purpose, if you like. And I think that that mantra is great for just accepting what is in front of us on a particular day and helps reduce that resistance and that um, pushing back against reality and in essence then helps us deal with what's in front of us and believe that we have the self-esteem to do that. Makeup's very empowering. Tell us what you've learned personally about the power of makeup thus far. The power of makeup, well, it's interesting because the charitable initiative I've run, I mean, that's something I really saw the power of makeup um, in full force. You know, I remember working with um, a woman and she had been through a very difficult and abusive relationship and um, had really sort of forgotten a part of herself in that process. And she put some makeup, would put some makeup on her and having a new visual reference point. It was really quite moving watching her just see that part of herself reignited. And I think that makeup can be a great way of also drawing upon those characters within ourselves that we need to call upon to triumph over whatever challenge we need to triumph over. Um, and I think it's as a ritual can be incredibly positive. I mean, if you think so many women you know, will apply makeup throughout a day um, or go through a ritual in the morning or the evening, and there's, you know, a, definitely a power in a ritual. And I think that when you you put it on, whether it's, a, you know, a great red lipstick or, you know, some concealer, it really does can help shift your emotion, if you like. Um, and I think it's got a power to impact people in many different ways from, you know, a skincare ritual to uh, 
something where they, as I say, want to uh, become a different character to help them um, show up in the way they need to show up on a particular day. What handbag essential item of makeup is a magic wand for empowerment? So my handbag essential empowerment product, you know, I'd have to say it would have to be a bright lipstick because it's not my sort of natural state. And I think that also I've seen how when you put bright lipstick on someone, whether it's a vibrant red or a shocking pink, how that can just, again, help them shift their emotion, really. And I think something like a really incredibly shocking pink lipstick has that playful element to it, slightly flirtatious and fun and upbeat. And something like a ravishing deep shade of red, a matte texture, is sort of symbolic of starlets and um, you know World War Two sort of uh, women who would put on a red lipstick no matter no matter how challenging the day was. Um, so I think it has you know a great association a bright lip colour. So I think that that would be my definite product I would choose. What makes somebody beautiful? I think what makes someone beautiful is yes they might have an aesthetic that is interesting or intriguing. But I think it's really an emotion. It's how they leave people feeling after being with them. I think that we are very emotional creatures as human beings. We live our life through emotion. And I have seen people who I would consider very beautiful because they have a humility about them. They see, uh, they have a compassion and a warmth. And I think kindness is a very beautiful trait. And I think that when someone has those um, parts of their personality, I think that that is what makes them very beautiful. It's almost like, you know, you can be around someone who might be aesthetically beautiful, but if they haven't mastered other parts of their personality and uh, are compassionate and kind and, and, and have a humility about them, I don't know if I necessarily come away feeling that great after being around them, but it's certain people who have a charisma and um, you just come away feeling wonderful for having been around them. So it's something that's always in the back of my mind that, you know, how can I leave people better off for having been around me? It's that thinking beyond ourselves into a much broader perspective, how we and all that we are can impact the people around us in a positive way. So I would see, you know, use the word beautiful as being much broader and deeper than one might first um, think of it. What is the future of beauty to you? The future of beauty for me is about really carrying on the conversation of the connection between how we feel and how we look. I think it's about opening up conversations around uh, some of the sort of filtered lives we see on social media. I think that it's about being more honest and more authentic about who we actually are and bringing a humanness into the beauty world again. It's not all about, you know, contouring and, and amplified highlighting and um, the way we sort of see the highlights of someone's life on social media, which I know from being a psychotherapist, it has an impact on the way people see themselves and their own um, emotional well-being. So for me, having studied as a psychotherapist, and I still do makeup as well, it's about bringing all of that together. And uh, in the future, I would like to do workshops for people around how they can become more emotionally balanced and deal with the stresses of today's life and look the very best they can. So it's really about uh, building people up from the inside out 
and having honest and open conversations and, and bringing people together so we can connect more in real life and in a human way, which we need to because it's a form of an emotional nourishment that we're being deprived of to some degree because of technology. And it's about being able to uh, bring communities together so we can lever off each other and um, become better because of it. Lee, what life lesson has someone shared with you which enabled personal growth? So a life lesson that someone shared with me that enabled personal growth, well, this is kind of an indirect life lesson, you might say. Um, I'd love to say it was some sort of, you know, fabulous affirmation that sort of made me become enlightened, but I'm afraid this is not going to be that story. <laughs> so um, it was actually, I remember, it was through a relationship, and um, the relationship was quite dysfunctional, which... Um, was my uh, thing at the time. I, I used to love a dysfunctional relationship. But the interesting thing was, I think relationships that we have with people can teach us a lot about ourselves. And through the uh, breakdown of this relationship, I really learned about myself, about my sort of shadow side, if you like. And um, it was really a, a transformative experience. And I think that the lesson here is that what sometimes may first appear bleak and difficult in actual fact, can turn out to be the very launch pad we need to become the person we end up being. And I think that, um, you know, we have to remember that everything we go through passes. And, you know, it's, it's the people who have been through very difficult experiences and grown from it and made the decision to take what they, the, you know, take a learning from it, that we, we can grow and evolve. And I think that there's a power in that. So um, I would say I would love that to be a really happy, delightful story. But the end is because here I am whispering on to David Horn on his podcast. <laughs> so I would say that would be um, the, the experience that led me to have a huge leap in my own personal growth and really go on to retrain and become a psychotherapist and challenge myself in ways that I never thought I would um, because it woke me up to myself. I'm always surprised when I'm teaching at the school or as a makeup artist how often people are scared of blusher. So what I want to share with you is a few ideas of how to wear blusher more successfully and where it actually goes on the face. The key thing is when you're looking at your face is to visualise a line from the corner of the mouth to the tragus which is the cartilage inside the ear. That gives you a sort of elevation line where you can place the blusher. If you want a slightly more elevated line or a slightly more lifting line you could sort of use a line from the corner of the mouth to the tip of the ear as a guide. And generally when you go horizontally across from the base of the nose, halfway across the face, that's generally where you're going to find the zygomatic bone. The zygomatic bone is really where we're trying to land our blusher and then take the blusher from that landing position out towards the edges of the face to draw the face upwards and give you a lifted effect. Liquid blushes tend to be the most natural and easier to apply. You could apply them with your fingers, the heat will really help disperse them, or a synthetic brush. Probably the best out there that I would tend to go for is Daniel Sandler, I mean, infamous award-winning liquid blusher. It really is one of the favourites for most clients and most makeup artists out there. So have a look for that one, which will give you a really lovely liquid effect. Another approach to it is using sort of a lipstick on the cheeks so that it can actually be one of your neutrals or one of your softer colours. Just a little bit of that scribbled onto the cheeks and blended in with the fingers will actually give you a lovely rosy glow. You can use cream blushes, but again, shop around because different brands will have a different level of emollient. There will be some that are slightly slippery, some that are slightly matte, some that dry down a little bit more, and some that are a little bit easier to work with, and some that are less so. 
So really play around with that idea of cream blusher. Look around at the different brands' textures and see whether it's going to be a Stila convertible or whether it's going to be a Bobbi Brown product or a milk stick blusher. Any of those things to give you a lovely cream effect. And that gives you a more of a glowing blusher and more naturalism and less sort of plonked on top looking like you've just applied it last minute. Powder blushes are great if you are tending to be more on the oily side or combination. But do be careful if you've got like a sparkling blusher and uneven skin. You'll tend to have to apply that over a quite good coverage matte base so that you've actually dealt with any of the imperfections of the skin before you highlight them with sparkling glitters in the blusher. So if you are looking at blushes with shimmer, make sure you place them carefully and make sure you work with them over a good base. If you are using a matte one, again, make sure that you're going for a colour that has a slightly more intense pop, otherwise it could look quite flat, and you could find that instead of it actually giving you a lift, it might find it quite draining. One of the techniques I love doing at the school is to show students how to create a blush from within effect. Once you've applied a liquid foundation, you can take a cream blusher and apply that onto the liquid foundation while it's still wet, so you're working with a wet-on-wet -wet technique. Then what I'll do is I'll take the foundation that I originally used, and I'll do a series of dots around the actual shape of the blusher to isolate it out, almost like you're putting polka dots around the cream blusher. And what that will then do is it sort of contains the shape to stop it bleeding out when you do a blend. I then work round those polka dots of foundation and push them in to the centre of the cream blusher. And what will happen over time is the cream blusher will get buried. And we call this bury the blusher. What it happens to do is give you a sort of sheer veil of foundation over the cream blusher. So it looks like it's the visible blood supply coming through the skin and it looks more realistic. So if you've tried a heavier sort of cream blusher and you've gone a little bit wrong, try this. I mean, you can put a few dots around it or over it and bury the blusher. I think you're going to find it a game change because once you start wearing your blusher like this, you'll probably find it looks much more flattering and you'll go less likely to the powder-based ones over the top of a finished makeup because it doesn't look quite so natural and glowing. So give that a go, bury the blusher. If you're a person that doesn't really like a lot of colour on the cheeks and feels quite self-conscious about drawing attention to your cheeks, maybe you have a rounder face or you're just really self-conscious of that area of your face or your natural look, then you can also use contour colours or neutral colours like cream bronzers to also bury the bronzer. So what you could do is you could take a sort of bronze universal, which is a gel mousse bronzer or a Maybelline one or anything from the drugstore you find that's a cream bronzer, apply it where you would naturally go towards putting a cream blusher, so this is quite neutral, and then again put your foundation around it and then over it sheerly and bury the bronzer. If you want to improve your techniques with professional makeup or just if you're a personal user of makeup wanting to get better, House of Glam Dolls is the technical school for you. We offer everything that you could possibly want to know about makeup and techniques. We give you diligence, HD camera training, precision, on-screen time so that you can really isolate and identify what your technical skills are and where they're missing and how to compensate and how to improve them. So if you're looking just to sharpen your skills or you've formally trained at a makeup school and you don't feel your technical precision has been dealt with or you don't feel confident, there may be some retraining or some inspiration training at House of Glam Dolls. It's probably going to be a great thing for you to look into. Have a look at www.houseofglamdolls.com and check out the courses. I've taken a moment just to get some of my students who are currently on the eight-day course to pop onto the mic and just give you an overview of kind of their experience and how they've found coming to House of Glamdolls. I really was full of a mixture of emotions prior to my course, but David immediately puts you at ease, explaining things simply and clearly throughout. All the girls in my course have been amazing and encouraging, and I really do look forward to every week. 
House of Glamdolls is fun and exciting. I'd say the course has allowed me to expand my knowledge on what I already know and also to just deepen my understanding of where things are placed and, su and such. I've really had a lot of fun. I can say that all the ladies on the course as well have really helped me to understand more and I'm grateful and it's the best. House of Glam Dolls is such a supportive, accessible environment. They explain everything you need to know in really simple, accessible steps. I was a complete beginner. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do it and I've been so happy that I can with David's help. So for me, House of Glam Dolls has been absolutely amazing. I've loved it. If you're interested in makeup, artistry, then you'll love it too. It's well structured, really supportive, informative and super practical. And most of all, it's really confidence building. The House of Glam Dolls has been a massive part of my makeup journey. Every single course that I've been on, I've literally learned something new every single time. It's just been so supportive and in one word, I literally just think it's amazing. What makes a great professional makeup artist assistant? What are the key traits for you when you go assisting another makeup artist? Number one, professional. Number two, punctual. Number three, hygienic. Number four, observant. Number five, instinctive. Number six, reactive. Number seven, respectful. Number eight, obedient. Number nine, sociable. Number ten, loyal. Everything you do as a professional makeup artist assistant comes down to being professional. How you behave on the set, your set etiquette, how you interact with the photographer or the art director, or key makeup artist, all of this is a reflection of your ability to be and act professionally. So professional is one of the key traits for being a great assistant. Punctual. Everybody wants you to be on time. Production or a shoot is cost-driven, so if you are late, it runs into overtime, it can run into extra costs. Being punctual is just one of the key respectful attributes to stop holding up people and making sure a production is time efficient. So make sure that if you're working on a shoot and you're assisting a makeup artist, you get there early, sit in a coffee shop until the time that you need to be there or the call time, and then turn up punctually. This will be remembered, this will be respected, and this will get you back on the job the next time. Hygienic. It's important that you work with safe beauty in mind at all times. Just make sure your hands and your kit are sanitised. We're working efficiently and professionally, and make sure that you keep a clean kit. No one's going to remember you for having a clean kit, but everyone's going to remember you for having a dirty kit. Make sure that you're practicing safe hygiene at all times. The next aspect of a great assistant is to be observant. Make sure that you're really watching what the key makeup artist is doing as they're working. And try and understand that choreography. Try and understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and when they're doing it. So that you can be predictive and understand what the next move is. It will help you be the next trait which is instinctive. A great makeup artist assistant can predict ahead of time what the key makeup artist needs and is there in preparation and in anticipation, ready with the next brush or tool or product, ready for the next step of the procedure of the makeup or the cleanup. So instinctive behaviour is a really great trait as an assistant makeup artist. Being reactive is the next trait. React to the environment, react to the people, react to the time schedule, and be proactively reactive when asked to do something. Taking a long time to react and a long time to do something going to start becoming aggravating to people when they want fast results in a fast-driven shoot. So make sure that you're practicing reactivity and be really responsive to the needs of the shoot and the individual and particularly the key makeup artist. That leads us to respectful. It's important that at all times you show great etiquette on set and are respectful to everybody involved. Never be disrespectful, don't talk ill of anybody on the shoot or the set and be respectful of yourself and how you behave in a professional manner. Obedient. 
obedient to the commands and the actual demands of the shoot. When you're assisting somebody is a subservient role, so you must be obedient to what you're being asked and be in a time-efficient manner. No point having an opinion that conflicts or is disrespecting what the wishes of everybody in the team are. That is not the role as an assistant. You're there to be obedient to the needs of everybody that you're working for. So make sure that you're practicing that as a great trait. Sociable, the next trait is to be really interactive with everybody on a shoot or set. Even if you're quite innately shy, it's really important that you find a way to ingratiate yourself with a set and a team of people. Individually introduce yourself to people and make sure that you know everybody's names. If you are finding that difficult, make sure that you try and break the ice as much as possible and interact with all members of the team, whether that's hair or nails or the photographer or the stylist. Make sure you're aware of everybody in the team and stay sociable. And the last point is loyal. Working for a makeup artist as the assistant, don't try and cannibalise their work, or take their work, or promote yourself, or try and steal the work, or undercut the work. There is a respectful guest, and that loyalty pays dividends in the long run. If you're as loyal to the actual key makeup artist, they'll have you back on set next time, and there'll be future opportunities for you to grow.